This is an AMI podcast. I'm Juwita Gupta and this is The Pulse. It's a fact. People bounce back. COVID-19 has been described as a once in a century event. It will change everything, people say, from how we bank and shop to work and socialize. And people with disabilities who have long been advocates and activists will lead the charge in fashioning this change. When COVID-19 is behind us, we'll make it so everyone, regardless of ability, gets access to their accommodations. We'll change things so that an education, employment, housing, public spaces, love and intimacy is within everyone's reach. We're home, practicing social distance. Use this time productively. It's an opportunity to write our social change manifesto. Today, we discuss COVID-19 as an agent of social and cultural change. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. My name is Joitha Gupta. And today, as always, we're working from home. But we are interested in doing something unique today. COVID-19 has indeed swept the globe and made so many changes so rapidly. But one of the things that I find in much of the coverage around COVID-19 is the perspective of people with disabilities is conspicuously missing. I've tried to remedy that on the program, and so has the rest of the team at AMI-audio. If you want to catch any of our coverage about COVID-19, head on over to the homepage for Accessible Media Incorporated, where we've compiled all of our coverage in one place so that you can access it all at once. So hopefully that will be convenient for you and will be a source of information and entertainment. And here on The Pulse, we wanted to take a look at the first-hand perspective of people living with disabilities, the real experiences of real people with real disabilities navigating real-world challenges at this unexpected and trying time. And the challenges are numerous, whether it's with parenting, lining up care, figuring out how to communicate, how to practice social distancing safely. There are so many perspectives that I would really like to make sure we document for posterity. In the second half of the program, you'll hear from Becky Zar, who might be a familiar voice to you on AMI-audio and also on AMI-tv if you tune into Now with Dave Brown. Becky is one of their fabulous community reporters, and you can catch her community report on Now with Dave Brown, but you can also hear, you'll also hear from her in a few minutes in the second half of our program about the ways in which she's managing the transition as a parent with a disability. I'm curious to ask Becky about how she's even had a conversation with her 10-year-old son about COVID-19. It's an overwhelming situation for adults, and I'm so curious to see how she's having that conversation with her child. Plus, how are they managing to keep themselves occupied? But first, another person you might be quite familiar with if you regularly listen to AMI-audio, Andrew Gerza is a disability activist and advocate, and he often writes on sex and disability. But today he's joining us to talk about his experience as a person with a disability while dealing with COVID-19, with a special mention made to all the amazing people who provide care work at this critical time. Andrew, welcome to The Pulse. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? 
Pretty good, thank you. In your in your Twitter feed, which I follow, you talked about being at a high risk situation during COVID nineteen. Can you explain to us why that is? Yeah, I I had somebody on social media send me a thing from the Center for Disease Control a few weeks ago that said that people with cerebral palsy were high risk, and it mm-hmm. listed other other disabilities like muscular sclerosis, muscular dystrophy, all that stuff. A lot of people who can have issues with respiratory things and a lot of people who are who are wheelchair users who have have disabilities who have invisible disabilities as well can can be at risk so i've been once i found out that information i've been really doing everything that i can to share with my followers and the people that follow me that i am at high risk and if you want to protect my life and those like me stay home mm-hmm one of the things you've been so candid about is the fact that you rely on caregivers and attendant care, and that might pose a whole other set of problems in this particular situation with COVID-19. So how's that going for you, and how are you keeping safe? How are your caregivers keeping safe? My caregivers, uh, I, I, I live in a March of Dimes home, so I live in a March of Dimes supported housing unit in Toronto, and mm-hmm. they've been really good about when when COVID-19 started ramping up, they sent out a memo saying, you know, we're going to wear gloves, we're going to do, we're going to wear masks, we're going to do what we have to, we're going to wash our hands, we're going to do all those things, but you may have to have a backup plan. And I went down to them and said, listen, my family lives 45 minutes away, I don't have a backup plan, you are my backup plan, and I don't want to go to the hospital because I might get sick there. So we sat down for a good two hours one day right after that memo came out, and I decided I need your help. Can you please exhaust every possible care option um, before I would have to go somewhere. And they said yes. So they've been really supportive of trying to make sure that everybody's okay, really urging the, the consumers that live here to stay home, doing their best to say, can we go to the grocery store for you, emailing and phoning every day to say, are you all right? Do you, what can we, can we, do you want to, do you want a Skype session? Can we do anything for you to make you feel better? They're really, they're really trying to be, uh, as accommodating as possible given these uncertain times. And I think as somebody using care, I'm really grateful for the people that are the frontline workers who are here who are here to help us because without them we couldn't get up. Yeah, exactly. They are indeed the unsung heroes at this time. And I'm really happy to hear and relieved, Andrew, that things are looking okay for you. You mentioned just a few minutes ago that you were a bit nervous about going to the hospital under these circumstances. Can't blame you. But what are some of the specific concerns you might have as a person with a disability going into the hospital situation in that scenario right now? Yeah, I mean, not only am I concerned about, you know, community spread at the hospital, things like that. I'm also concerned about things, really simple things like when I was going to go to the hospital on a good day as somebody with complex disabilities, the hospital staff generally don't know how to help you when you're disabled and you need things. Like if I was to roll into the emergency room in my wheelchair and say I want to be transferred, they'd look at me like, okay, we'll just lift you. They wouldn't say, let's get a Hoyer lift, let's get lifts ready for you. They, they don't generally know what to do. And that's what my fear is. My fear is that if I was to contract COVID-19 and I, need, I would need to go to the hospital, I would I would be worried that they wouldn't know how to help me and they would prioritize somebody who isn't disabled over me because they might, ha- they might have more likelihood of surviving. My worry is that they wouldn't know how to handle disability and then, then we would die because of that um, mm. lack of knowledge. 
It's a serious concern, and I don't want to downplay it in the least. So let's just spend a minute more talking about it. What has the Ontario government put in place to facilitate better communication between hospital staff and patients with disabilities? I remember there was a, uh, a patient advocate office, which used to be held by Christine Elliott, but I don't believe there's anyone even in that position at the moment. Yeah, I don't think the Ontario government... Um the Ontario government or the Canadian government really has said anything about COVID that has specifically addressed. They've talked about vulnerable persons. They've said the elderly. That's all very important. And I, I want to also make clear that I support those communities and they're very important. But I, I would love somebody from the Ontario government or the federal government to step up to the podium and say, hey, I want to send a message to specifically disabled Canadians dealing with this right now and you know maybe their care workers too Trudeau just did a just did a just did a message to you know the kids of of COVID-19 that's great now the next message I'd love to see is a message to disabled Canadians yeah, it's definitely one of those situations where disabled Canadians are, I would say, present in their absence from the conversation. But one of the things you said on Twitter, Andrew, that I was so intrigued, so I, I told Enrica, our producer, we've got to get Andrew on the show to talk about this, uh, was the fact that you're worried about the aftermath of COVID-19 with all of this talk about social distancing. You worry about the fact that you might have difficulty accessing intimacy and love as a person with a disability such a unique angle tell us about it yeah i i i have trouble on a good day getting somebody to go on a date with me because of disability or getting somebody to be to engage with me sexually because of disability and my worry is that if we because we don't know much about this virus we don't know how these things how this is you know we don't really know how it's going to mutate or any of these things people might assume if 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 i am disabled and look quote unquote sick they might not want to engage with us following this and my worry is that a lot of ableism that people have towards people with disabilities that was slowly starting to get better not even really get better we, we, we were working towards you know trying to change things will now backslide into oh you're disabled and you look sick you might have COVID-19 mm -hmm. um, you might you know I can't go on a date with you because you might you might cough on me, you might breathe on me, you might something might happen and because you're disabled you'll definitely give me this this illness. Yeah. I mean there's so much fear and uh so many barriers, as you said, on a good day for people with disabilities to find love and intimacy when you factor in something like COVID nineteen, you really end up regressing a, a lot. What about the sense of community. So many of us have talked about needing to be out and about, the need for human contact. Uh, how are you finding in terms of keeping up with friends and, or family or even just reaching out to the disability community online? Has that been a source of comfort to you at this time, Andrew? Very much so. It's really comforting to see all of us come together. I am comforted by the fact that non-disabled people who've never experienced this before, we're all doing this together. It really kind of does make us look at things differently and so i've seen a lot of disabled people online say things like well now you know how we feel and my thinking is this my thinking is that's not helpful right now i know we're upset and i know we're angry and i know that all of, all of a sudden everything is being moved to online which is something that is an accommodation that disabled people have been asking for forever i get that but it's important to remember that we as disabled people right now are the experts we are the ones 
who've been through things like this before. We know how to social distance. We know how to, to isolate. We know how to be, to entertain ourselves when there's nothing else to do. So instead of bemoaning non-disabled people who don't understand, I'm really trying to give them tools and trips and tips and tricks on how to to use this time effectively as as from a disabled person to a non-disabled person to be like, I know how to do this. Let me help you. <laughs> Let me ask you then to follow up on that. We've had Kate McWilliams on on the show, of, and she's the creator of a hashtag accessibility for ables that really took off on Twitter. And her premise, her argument was just what you were saying, that finally non-disabled people are forced to deal with the issues of disability, the disability community encounters on a daily basis. And suddenly all of these accommodations are being made without questions asked. Do you not agree with where she was going with her thinking there? I, I see where it comes from. I just don't think that I have an issue with the, with the term "abled," I'm st- and I used to use it pretty freely in the work that I do. And I I know where it comes from, and I get where it comes from, and I support people who feel that way. I just think that it is another way of division against non-disabled and disabled people, and I don't think we can be divided right now, especially right now. We can't be using language that's going to divide us. We have to find ways to come together and bridge those things. So I I understand completely where she's coming from, and I support the idea. I just think we need to find gentler ways to put it out there in the world. Well, in the in the spirit of what you just said, if you were to build a bridge with the non-disabled community and sustain that after COVID-19 is behind us or is in the rear view view mirror, what message in, let's say, 30 seconds would you give the non-disabled community to start thinking about people with disabilities moving forward? The message I would give you is don't forget this. Don't forget this. This this is a chance for us to to change things for the better for the disabled and non-disabled community. Let's use this as the catalyst to do that. Andrew, well said. Thank you so much for being on the program. It's always a pleasure to speak to you. Take care of yourself. Thank you so much for having me, and I'd love to come back again. That was my conversation with Andrew Gerza. Now I want to turn to a conversation about parenting and how you parent as a person with a disability during COVID-19. I thought it'd be nice to sit down with a former nurse and a wonderful parent, Becky Zar, who you can hear regularly on Now with Dave Brown. Becky is a community reporter and brings us news from Regina, Saskatchewan. But today, Becky joins us to talk about COVID-19 and how she's been having some conversations with her son about what's going on and how she's been keeping her son occupied. Becky, welcome to The Pulse. Thank you so much. I missed you. And it's lovely to be on the show. I haven't been on this one before, so... I've missed you too. <laughs> so Becky, how are you holding up with the social isolation and working from home? Is the family doing okay? How's Bennett holding up? Oh my goodness. It's been a whirlwind, which I know it's the exact same comment you're going to hear from everyone, but I can't even process what's all taking place in literally a week, I guess, and a week and a bit. So we're all holding up well. We're all healthy and safe here at home and we're keeping our social distance and, um, Just trying to be creative. I think that that is what's going to carry us all through this um, bumpy time here. One of the things I wanted to spend some time talking to you about is the perspective of parents at a time like this. And so I guess the most important question to start off with is how do you as a parent have a conversation with your 10-year-old child about what's going on without traumatizing them? 
Yeah, you know what? That's kind of a, it was a delicate dance to do um, because we like to be honest with Bennett. And, you know, like you said, he's he's 10, he's in grade four. And so he's old enough to understand some stuff, but too young to be exposed to it all, I feel. So, you know, it's everywhere too. So, and you want him to be aware of, uh, you know, what exactly social isolation is and what the difference between that is and quarantining yourself and all that kind of stuff. So fortunately, because of my nursing background, I found it quite easy, I'm going to say, to break things down a little bit um, lighter. Uh, so he understood it. And he's used to me and my nursing chat and stuff like that too. So um, education is something that I feel is very, very important, especially at a time like this. So they want to understand. They're little people, but they're inquisitive and they're trying to learn too, because it's very much disrupted their entire their entire life as it is um, with everybody else globally too. Let me talk a little bit about that disruption. A major point of disruption, and I know you said to my colleague, Dave, that you were expecting this one, was the cancellation of a school in Saskatchewan. But even with the anticipation of the school cancellations, the fact that it was imminent, are you worried that Bennett is missing out on a, a good chunk of the school year? Or do you actually see this as an opportunity to have some one-on-one -on -one quality time with your son and to teach him some of those lifelong lessons? Yeah, you know what? Um, initially, I'm going to be honest, I kind of panicked and was like, oh my goodness, like this is a massive piece of time. It's five months if they're going to carry us through till September. So here in Saskatchewan, how it kind of all rolled out, I know it's different um, in each region and how they made these decisions and based on, you know, um, provincial epidemiology and trends. So here in Saskatchewan, it was on a Monday morning, um, I ended up keeping him at home, <clears throat> excuse me, I had the inclination that he was likely going to be discontinued because they had the Friday off anyways from school. So um, I kept him at home. And then by 11 o'clock that day, it was already announced that it was, you know, shutting down and it was optional for the rest of the week. So um, people are encouraged to keep their kiddos home if they could and had the ability. So I did that. Um, I work from home. I'm a reflexologist now. I've uh, stepped back from the nursing world technically. And so um, that was interesting. I do think initially people were frightened and overwhelmed and how they're going to incorporate this within their day and we are not trained teachers I'm totally not a trained teacher especially for you know a grade four student well I have to be honest some of the math I'm just like oh my goodness I don't even know what that that means I it's sort of kind of coming back to me but I'm going to tag my husband in on that one but um, so you know what I'm looking at it as a positive aspect. I'm trying to gleam any type of positivity out, out of this experience as we possibly can because if we look at everything negatively, it becomes very depressing. And as we know, you know, statistically, we do have higher rates of, of depression right now as well. So um, I actually love spending time with my child. I totally do. I'm not going to lie. We're a normal family. Of course, we get frustrated and, you know, at times and run out of ideas and stuff. But I think we just have to be creative. And I also think that it's an opportunity for families to step back and slow down. We get mm. going so quickly with organized sports and activities and trying to fit in all the homework and, you know, live the quote unquote ideal life and portray it to everybody else around us that we almost miss out on an opportunity to get to know those little people because they are so interesting and they're changing so fast. So mm -hmm. I'm looking at it as an opportunity to really strengthen my family connection and have an opportunity to spend really quality time together. Yes, the hand is forced. We have to spend it together, um, which people can look at that negatively um, because we all like to be in control of our lives and what's going on around us that a forced scenario makes a little bit more challenging. But you know what? If we 
bind together at this time, we will likely have a, a quicker, shorter positive outcome or longer positive outcomes that come from this experience. So um, we're doing things like, you know, we're kind of all over the map. Bennett's guitar lessons continue. Uh, so we do it online with his typical instructor. But my mom actually was listening to the news one day and they had shared that there was an online free guitar lesson by like a famous band. And so we dialed in for that. It was honestly way over our heads. <laughs> um, we're not really there yet, but um, it was cool to see him just experience that and listen. And we're like, oh, mom, I understand what he was talking about with that and this. And even though he couldn't keep up with it, I think it's really cool how the, the world is kind of bonding together and still trying to contribute and share their talents to other people to fill their days and time. So um, other things that we have done are, you know, um, with the education component, his school has left open this online math tutorial program. And so he still goes on there and it's set up as a game type thing. So he finds it quite entertaining and he's still learning at the same time. Um, my kiddo is a fairly avid reader, so he does have a few books in his own little personal library. So he's he's progressing through them as well, which I think is a life skill. So um, I'm happy with that too. I'm trying not to be too sticklers for you have to sit down and you have to do this math sheet and stuff. But we have done a couple of them. And there are a lot of wonderful online resources that are set out there too if you really want to do that um, type of education. But I think it's an opportunity, <clears throat> excuse me, to... A look at learning from a totally different perspective and mm -hmm. gleam an opportunity to do those um, untraditional learning. Like right now, literally, my son is in the garage uh, doing some type of woodwork project with my husband, which I'm not allowed to be part of. Um, so, you know, you hear different saws and stuff like that and tools going on and off. But that's an opportunity that he wouldn't have had necessarily. So I think it's kind of cool and how everyone's kind of pitching together to be creative. Mm -hmm. I agree with you 100%. I, I almost wish something this had happened to me when I was in school because it opens up so many opportunities for non-traditional learning. But you know, one of the perennial questions, Becky, and you probably have heard this as a parent, but also in your, uh, in your former working life as a nurse, how much screen time is good for kids? And is this a time when we lean into technology to open up those additional opportunities for our kids? Or as parents, do we really have to think about how much exposure our kids have? Are there times when we need to mandate, okay, you need to put that iPad away or you need to put those video games away and try to do something else? Yeah, you're totally right. It can be a very much a slippery slope when it comes to screen time as well, because we don't want to encourage sedentary lifestyles. And it's a very easy tool to um, lose track of time of how much you're spending on it. So I think, I mean, one other thing that Bennett has done with his screen is with his iPad is have FaceTime contact with his friends. And so he's had a play date and it was, it kind of makes me giggle to even say it because we're qualifying it as a play date um, via FaceTime. And I think that was an okay use of time. And the way I'm justified that it is because he's still interacting with his friend. They were carrying each other around their house. His one buddy happened to be living on a farm. And so he was going around showing Ben and all of his different animals. And they were looking at hockey cards together. And they actually popped their screens up against, I don't know what they had, the wall, I'm going to say. And we're playing hockey. Um, it's 
crazy to see it because kids are so adaptive, right? And so mm-hmm. he looked at it as, well, whatever. I still have him here. He's playing hockey at his place. I'm playing here. And they were doing this game where you had to shoot in a certain, you know, get in a certain, certain spot of the net. And they were taking turns. And I was like, oh, my goodness, that's cool. He actually has a screen time set up here at 11 o'clock with another friend of his. And they're going to play Battleship online. So they're playing games. So to me, I think that's an okay use of screen time. But if you're just going to sit there and um, kind of binge, on handheld games that are non-interactive and just sort of dulling the brain stimulation. I'm not a huge proprietary of that. So um, there is a time and place for it. I'm not going to knock the parents use it because, you know what, I do too at times. Um, But I think the more interaction that we can get, the better if we are going to use those screens. We just have to look at doing it in a totally different way. Link in with those grandparents. I know Bennett's both sides of his grandparents love getting the FaceTime videos of him because it gets them an opportunity to see their face and not feel as disconnected. So I think we have to use these screens and tech in a totally different way that we're not uh, non-traditionally designed for or that we don't necessarily um, think of using them for. We use them as games and distraction toys, but um, we can use them in a positive way as well right now. Well, I know a lot of parents, Becky, and I say this because I scroll through a, a, a lot of Twitter at this time, will try to keep a, a, a positive attitude and stay strong for their kiddos and their little ones. But when they put the kids to bed, they start to worry and they feel a bit overwhelmed with the demands of having to be parents while juggling full-time jobs. I know you're working as a reflexologist and your husband's probably working from home too. How are you folks holding up? Yeah, you know what? I think we just have to be honest with one another and have those times where we can feel overwhelmed and then also back away from it. So when I'm feeling overwhelmed, it's usually attributed to a day that I've had the TV on in the background, the news, a lot. And it's just a constant reminder and stuff. So I think it's important that we step back and we escape in a totally different way. Maybe turn on a movie and escape. You know, Maybe it's a comedy. Maybe you sit and you read your favorite book or you sit and you communicate with your partner. Um, I think it's important important that we have those step back times. And my husband and I have a fantastic relationship where we balance one another um, quite naturally. And so when I'm feeling overwhelmed, he kind of sort of talks me off the ledge, we say. And when he's feeling overwhelmed, I do the same thing to him. So it is a lot, but I think it will become more comfortable as we make this transition into a very unknown um, place that we haven't had an opportunity to dive into. So, and remember, cut yourself some slack. You don't have to be super mom. You don't have to be super dad. Sometimes things are not going to be done 100%, but that's okay. You have to make those uh, variations and you have to be okay with that and stop judging yourself. And if you find that social media is a big judge, step back from it. You know what I mean? Look after mm-hmm. yourself so you can look after everybody else. It's kind of like the, the plain uh, metaphor. When you're getting that oxygen mask dropped from the ceiling, your automatic reaction is wanting to put on um, those who are around you that you love the most. You have to look after yourself to keep yourself healthy so you can look after the wolves that you love the most. Well, we have a minute left, so I'm going to ask you a burning question. You mentioned about all of these creative activities you're engaged with, with Bennett. You talked about it here for the last 10 minutes, and then you also chatted with my friend Dave Brown on Now with Dave Brown. One of the things that I noticed was missing from this conversation and that one was a reference to baking. What happened, Becky? (laughs) 
I was going to say it, but I lost. I'm trying to keep succinct to time. I literally made muffins this morning, banana chocolate chip, double dose. Um, and Ben and I made cookies, um, I'm going to say two days ago. So yes, the baking still continues in my house. And um, it's something that we're using to incorporate math because math, like baking is full of math. Fractions is, happens to be a learning objective of his right now. And mm -hmm. um, baking is my go-to. So yes, the baking continues. Baking is a science. Hey, Becky, your ginger snap cookies are to die for. Thank you so much for talking to us today on The Pulse. It's so nice to catch up with you. You bet. It was so nice to chat with you. You guys take care and uh, stay safe and uh, try to have a little bit of fun. Thanks a lot, Becky. You too. That was my conversation with community reporter Becky Zarr. You can catch Becky on Now with Dave Brown as she delivers a monthly community report. We heard a lot from Becky Zarr about how she's trying to educate her son and keep him entertained all at the same time. But if you live in the Becky's household, I think it's fair to say, in light of all the baking that goes on, that you can have your cake and eat it too. Well, that's it for The Pulse today. But before we go, I just wanted to wrap up with the thought that Hope is perhaps a strange thing to talk about at a time like this. Many of us are feeling frustrated, many of us might be feeling cut off, but it is nevertheless an important opportunity to reflect on hope. The hope for a better and brighter future for people of all abilities. I think that COVID-19, insofar as it can push through a lot of change very fast, might also become a catalyst for social change. It might allow in the future for greater integration for people with disabilities. And I hope that in looking back on some of our coverage and some of the coverage on AMI-audio, we can feel a little bit of responsibility for trying to shape that change and to mold that public conversation. I'd like to thank Andrew Gerza and Becky Zar for being my guests today. The Pulse is produced by Andrika Delanerold. Sam Robinson is our technical producer. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio with special thanks going out to Paula Deneen, the supervisor of AMI-audio technical. Hope to talk to you soon. Everyone stay safe and have a wonderful rest of your day. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.